in thinking back to your younger years, what did you do when you got a dollar or five dollars, right? Were, did you have to give it to your parents? Did you have to hide it? Did you um, tuck it away somewhere and just kind of look at it? Did you immediately run down to the corner store and buy a bunch of candy? Did you come home to thinking that that five dollar bill was somewhere in your closet and you found out your sibling stole it, right? There's so much tied up in that. So if we can kind of dig into what were some of my first tangible memories of money and what did it feel like that's going to help us set the stage. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. This week on The Pursuit of Purpose, I have Lindsay Brian Podvin as a guest. And Lindsay, can you tell us just a little bit about you and what you do? Absolutely, Amy. So first, I'm just really happy to be here. And I am a financial therapist. And that means exactly what it sounds like. I'm a traditionally trained therapist. I had practiced in the depression and anxiety space for almost a decade. And what I do in my financial therapy practice is fold in elements of financial psychology and financial literacy to help my clients feel at more peace with their money. So I'm cross-trained in financial social work and in financial therapy to help provide this service to clients in a really ethical and holistic way. It's really interesting. Before meeting you online in our She Podcasting group, I had never heard of financial therapists, but it makes so much sense when you think about how stressful our financial our, our relationship with money in general is a stressful thing. So, so the thing that I like to talk about on this show a lot is how purpose is interconnected with so many aspects of, of business and our individual lives. Mm -hmm. What do you see the connection between purpose and how we manage our money or our relationship with money? What does that look oh like? Oh my gosh. To me, it's, it's really everything. And I know that sounds like a gross uh, simplification. But the reality is the world in which we live, we have to have money to afford us the things that are purposeful in our lives. So we have to have enough money to purchase and pay for things like our home, our vacations, our experiences to pay if we're in business for hosting sites and to pay for advertisements and to pay employees. So there is no aspect of our lives that money does not touch. And I know that that sounds a little bit icky for people, but I think it's actually really freeing, right? So even for people who are like, no, meditation is free. Sure, it absolutely is. And in order to get to a place in your life where you feel really comfortable practicing mindfulness, I'm sure that at some point you had to exchange money for that knowledge, whether it was a book, whether it was donating money to um, a person's Patreon account, right? We exchange money for things all the time. And the more we can neutralize money and just make it a tool that's in our lives, the better off we will be. We assign 
for most of my clients, a lot of negative meaning to money. We put money in the same bucket as greed and selfishness and things like that. And really it doesn't belong there. It belongs in a much more neutral space. And once we can neutralize it, it affords us the things that we to be able to live our lives in a passion-fueled way, which is why I love your mission, is that there is purpose and passion in everything, and we need to be able to find it. And once we sort out our money stuff, we can do that very, very easily. So do you help your clients identify like what that root cause is of the anxiety they have over money? I mean, is it is it something that is long standing typically that they have to overcome or is it a lot of different variables i would imagine too yeah it's definitely a lot of different variables and what i think a lot of people do is they try to solve for the math equation they say if i get my budget in order i'll feel better if i set aside x number for retirement then i'll i'll feel relaxed and so they do all of those things and then they still find themselves feeling anxious or uncomfortable in their relationship with money. And that's really when I say, that makes sense. I'm so glad you have your money kind of on paper sorted out, but now we have to do some of the heavy lifting <laughs> to clear up some of the stuff that is making you feel uncomfortable with money. And just like how we have our relationships with food, our relationships with our bodies, our relationship with leisure activities, and they kind of go back to our earlier years, we have to do the same thing with money. We know our brains are soaking up so much information between the ages of zero and seven and zero and eight. So that's why in a lot of my work with my clients, we go back to tell me some of the first things you learned about money when you were a child. And a response I often get is like, we didn't talk about money growing up. I don't have a money story. And I go, hmm. That sounds like your money story right there, is that we don't talk about money in our household. It is a taboo. It's something that's impolite. And then we can really start to untangle some of those bigger things to your point earlier. Is it one root cause? No, it's intertwined. Those roots are tangled and deep and they go far and wide. So we have to start untangling all of them. And that also includes some of that childhood work. Right. It's really interesting because as you were saying that, I was thinking about, I do a lot of work with um, helping people define their purpose. And I use Simon Sinek's philosophy of start with why. And, and a core piece of that is going back and looking at the stories that are impactful in your life. And some of that is also looking at those early years of, you know, some of your first memories that were very impactful. And and then thinking about, okay, in order to understand my relationship with money, I also have to go back that far and look at what were some of my early introductions to money mm -hmm. and how it works mm -hmm. and the role that it plays, not only individually, but within your family unit of, you know, if you grew up in, you know, in a poverty home, that's going to be very different than someone who grew up in a, a home that you know, was more wealthy or middle class. I mean, that the significance there is going to have a, a tremendous impact on how you go forward in multiple aspects of your life, but especially in that relationship you have with money. Right, right. And thinking back to your younger years, what did you do when you got a dollar or $5, right? Were, did you have to give it 
to your parents? Did you have to hide it? Did you um, tuck it away somewhere and just kind of look at it? Did you immediately run down to the corner store and buy a bunch of candy? Did you come home to thinking that that $5 bill was somewhere in your closet and you found out your siblings stole it, right? There's so much tied up in that. So if we can kind of dig into what were some of my first tangible memories of money and what did it feel like that's going to help us set the stage. Right. So tell me what it's like to go through that process with someone. I mean, is it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I have gone through therapy, so I understand what a therapy session is like and the unpeeling of the, the onion per se. What are some of the, what are some of the most common challenges that people have around money that maybe just by sharing some brief insights about them, it might give some of my listeners an aha moment of, oh, I need, I need to start to work on flipping that switch mm. in this regard for me. Yeah, it's, it's a hard question to answer because everybody's money story is nuanced. And so I think one of the things that can be helpful for listeners to know is that they're not alone in having a complicated relationship with money, even if, to your point, they grew up in a middle class or upper middle class um, household, right? We, we still soak up money stories and it is still really complicated. And I think one of the biggest frustrations I hear is is well, I feel like I've got, I've done what all the budgeting gurus have told me to do and I still feel icky or uncomfortable or weird or avoidant about my money. And that again comes back to this idea that we are, we are kind of sold like if you kind of solve the symptom, right? If you, if you take your ibuprofen and you're not sore anymore, then you're better. But really we have to dig into, well, why are you sore in the first place? Are you over-exercising? Are you sitting funny all day? Are you not stretching, right? So we have to kind of dig into that with our money story as well. So just helping people understand that it's complicated and it won't be sorted out right away. And Amy, I feel that so much of like going to a therapist and knowing like, oh, I have to peel away at the onion. It's really daunting. Um, and as a therapist, I've been on both sides of the therapist couches. I think it's important for all therapists and all coaches to make sure that they're are doing their own work. So I know that heaviness of like, oh, I don't really want to go there. I just want this to be over. <laughs> and, and for me, I think it's really helpful for clients to understand that for it to be, to feel less burdensome, we do have to go back and we do have to dig into what else might have contributed to your current relationship with money. And it's not about saying like, oh, blame your parents or blame your environment. It's just about understanding with curiosity why you might have picked up on certain money stories. Sure. And I'm sure the influences are, are great in terms of it's not going to be just the relationship that you had with money and your parents growing up, it's outside right. influences as well. It's the expense of college is immense. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you are able to get loans or grants or any of those things provide, puts a, a really heavy burden on the shoulders of anybody who's starting to enter into that phase of their life. Mm -hmm. Money is such a, such a challenging topic. In so, so many ways, even, you know, I work with a lot of business people who are trying to develop their marketing campaigns and they look at money as I can, I can only do this marketing if I have money in the bank to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I try and encourage them to think about it from 
yes, you have to have the money to be able to do some of this marketing, but if you don't spend a little bit of money to be able to do X, Y, Z, the amount of people that you're able to get in front of is significantly reduced and therefore maybe it's gonna be a lot harder for you to be able to build the business that you're dreaming of having if you're not allotting a certain amount of money to be able to promote your business and really focus on the marketing aspect of what you're doing. Right, right, exactly. And it's that's such a complicated line to walk, right, Amy, is that we have this narrative in our country that debt is bad. And then we also have this understanding as business owners that sometimes you do have to spend money to get a bigger return on investment. And to your point earlier about education, most of us understand that taking out a loan for something like higher education is a, is a safe risk or is a safe investment. Even though I think most of us also would go, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it wasn't so expensive if we didn't have to take out so many student loans? So it's complicated. I mean, even just in that example, it's it's tricky, which makes sense that we need, you know, to toot my own heart, folks like me who are doing financial therapy to help people understand that it is complicated. And it is not just one experience that you had as a child that is shaping your relationship with money. It's It's ongoing. Right. So if you were going to give someone advice on how to be able to start a conversation around money with I know you do a lot of work with couples, but just even, I think it would probably even apply if you're in a business partnership relationship of anytime you have to talk about money, it's always a challenging conversation to start. Do you have some tips that you can share about making that an easier conversation to get into? Yeah, I think neutralizing it for sure and carving out space to talk about it. What we talk about in therapy is a doorknob moment. That's where you have a session with a client and then as they are walking out the door to say goodbye, they kind of drop something huge on you and you're like, what? We can't do anything with that information. You're walking out the door. And it's that same thing that we tend to do a lot of doorknob moments, at least I see in our relationships, whether with business partners or romantic ones, right? On our way out the door as we're going to like socially distance grocery shop, we say, by the way, honey, I'm feeling uh, like we're spending way too much money. We really need to rein it in. Bye. And like walk out the door. That's not going to be a great time to have that conversation. Rather than doing that, rather than like dropping a bomb and walking away, saying to your partner, romantic or business, hey, next Friday, we really need to sit down and talk about our numbers, whether that is Picking and picking one or two things to talk about, not saying we need to get our entire financial picture or our financial house in order, saying we really need to talk about our monthly income and expenses, or we really need to talk about next quarter's projections. Picking one or two things, having it in a setting that is neutral, that you both are aware of what's coming up, and making sure there's a stop time on it, right? Unless you're saying like, okay, we're going to do like a day-long money retreat, it's really hard, even as a money person, to talk about money for too long. So I like to cap it around like an hour, an hour and a half and say, once we kind of hit that time limit, even if there are more things we need to talk about, that means we need to talk about them again in a contained time-limited space. So making sure that it's very intentional, it's time-limited, both of you are coming to the table to talk about money and both of you know what you're bringing and what the topic is. Sure. So do you recommend then like setting aside each week or each month to be able to just have a 
a money conversation. And yes. so that at, after a certain amount of time, I would imagine that that becomes a much more comfortable and less ang anxiety ridden conversation. Yep. So knowing that you have a money date on the calendar is huge. And it also prevents those doorknob moments from happening in that when that doorknob moment happens, you can say, you know what, hon, we'll talk about it at this month's money date, or we'll talk about it when we have that time set aside. So with my couples, I like to start them out by having weekly money dates, which sounds crazy, but then we back off to monthly money dates. And then eventually we get to a point where we're having quarterly money dates. And I think it's important for everybody to understand again, that these conversations are ongoing. And the more we can start to fold them into to a healthy romantic or business partnership, the better off we are going to be. Very true. It's the same concept of when you practice something, it just becomes easier. Right. You might be very stressed about it to begin with, but the more you do it, the more relaxed you are doing it and the more proficient you become in the activity that you're doing. Right. With what we're going through right now, with, with all of the social distancing and the shutdown of a lot of businesses across the country as a result of the pandemic. What pieces of advice would you have for people now as, as we're starting to move into what appears to be a new phase, regardless of which side of the coin you think is whether it's right or wrong to be doing it, it's happening. What would be some advice that you would give to people now going into what is going to be probably some very challenging economic times and money is probably going to escalate higher on the anxiety scale than it has for a lot of people in the past. What I have seen happen during this time is the importance of having cash on hand. I talk a lot about emergency funds or safety nets or whatever you want to call them. And we've really seen the importance of having something like that available. The standard of an eight-month emergency fund, that comes from old data that says it typically takes a person who loses their job eight months to find a new one. So knowing that, you can kind of play around with how many months of an emergency fund you feel is important for you and for your family. If you are in a high-demand position, you are a coder, let's say an app developer, something like that, you probably are not going to have to wait eight months to get a new job. So thinking about where can I kind of tweak that number so that I feel safe and secure. I think having a healthy emergency fund is also going to provide you peace of mind right now. And so bulking up on that is going to be imperative. And I know we are all, whether you are listening as a small business owner or you're, you're listening as a small business supporter, most of us believe in supporting small businesses and the importance of putting our money back into our communities. So I would say Practicing financial self-care, making sure you have a really healthy emergency fund is first and foremost. And once you have that ready to go, then spending your money locally, knowing that that also helps to support your community. So doing grocery runs at, you know, mom and pop owned places, you know, ordering carry out from the local restaurants, buying hardware from a locally owned hardware store, right? So making sure that you're spending money in alignment with your values and in alignment with supporting the stability of your local community is going to be paramount. So taking care of yourself and taking care of your community, knowing that there's that ripple effect. Yeah, I I have a number of friends who are in the 
in the farming industry. Mm. And, you know, there, there's a lot of worry over what will happen in that, that sector of, of the industry. Mm -hmm. And it just shines a light on how significant money anxiety can be for people. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter if it's in the ag industry or any others. It's the instability of what's going on right now that really just makes it more apparent how how fragile our relationship with money is. Right. And it's often one that we don't want to address. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's so much shame built up in it. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes to you, kind of what's the tipping point that makes that, and again, I'm sure it's it's so unique, but how, do you see a do you see any recurring themes of what that tipping point looks like of when a person finally decides to come to you <laughs> and maybe what would be something that a person could look for in themselves to say, Oh, maybe I don't have as healthy of a relationship with money as what I thought I did, or maybe I'm, I'm closer to being able to benefit from a financial therapist than I had realized before. So my clients are a unique group in that, you know, we tend to attract folks like us, right? So my clients tend to be the folks who have tried to do it on their own. They've read the books, they've listened to the podcast, they've done their budgeting. They're, they're DIYers, they're problem solvers. They want to do it themselves. So they've tried to do it themselves and they've done a pretty okay job and they still feel like they're missing something. They still feel uncomfortable when they log into their retirement accounts. They still feel anxious bringing up money with their partner. They still feel avoidant when it comes to tax season, right? So those are the times when I start to see that tipping point is as I mentioned earlier, they try to kind of solve for that symptom. And then once they've tried to problem solve for that and they're still feeling uncomfortable, that's when they call me in and say, hey, I think I need a little backup. Makes sense. Taxes always create a tremendous amount of anxiety for me. Oh, yes. <laughs> Same, right? Because even though I know money and I understand it, taxes, there's a reason people get certified in becoming tax accountants, right? It is a totally different beast. The policies are changing all of the time. It is so important to have an expert on site and available for you. And I will happily pay for somebody to walk me through everything and make sure that I'm doing it right. Yeah. I, I always... I always tell my daughter, okay, we're getting it, we're getting ready to do taxes. So if I'm seeing a little bit more stressed right now, this is why. Yep. Yep. <laughs> when we're done, things will become a little easier again. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or just tell me, you know, hey, mom, you're being a little, you're being a little crabby. Is it because you're working on your taxes? Yes. That would be <laughs> yes. Why? What is it about money that makes things so complicated? Why why is it that we just get so wound tight as it relates to money? Can you offer any insight into that? Yeah, so I think things seem complicated about the the bookkeeping side of money because there's so much noise out there about how much you need to put away and what you need to do with your money and the reality is 
all of those personal finance experts are giving blanket advice because blanket advice is what sells. And I think it's really important for us to come back to being the experts on our money. So what I teach is that there's really only three things you need to know about money. And within each of those three things or three pillars, there are nuances that you can tweak. But it comes down to this for personal finances. One is spending less than you earn every single month. And people call this a budget. They call this a spending plan. They call this cash flow. It doesn't matter, but you have to understand what's coming in and what's going out. Number two is something I talked about earlier, which is the idea of an emergency fund. You have to have some cash on hand to help you weather the storm. And then number three is investing in your future. And to me, this is the one that throws people off the most and they get the most spun out about because investing in your future is broad. It can be investing in retirement. It can be paying down debt. It can be saving for your children's college fund. It can be getting life insurance in place. Those are the three kind of building blocks that anybody needs when it comes to personal finances. And once you understand those, then you can start to kind of personalize and tweak it for yourself, but tune out all the noise with all the jargon because it really just comes down to spending less than you earn, saving some money for a rainy day, and making sure you're setting yourself up for success in the future. That sounds so simple. <laughs> That's what I hope. I hope it sounds simple because when we get overwhelmed with all the noise, that's when we get hit with things like decision fatigue, right? So on a day-to-day -day basis, our brands are making anywhere from 10,000 to 25,000 decisions. And that's everything as simple as should I have water or iced tea? Should I put on a sweatshirt or a cardigan? So when it comes to money, the more we can simplify, the better, and the more likely it is that we're able to tap into our wise decisions and make really smart choices. Before the days of social distancing, we all knew what um, decision fatigue was when we went out to eat, right? If you're handed a menu and it has five options versus if you're handed a menu that has a book of options, it's always easier to pick out what you want to eat from that first choice. Absolutely. I find that it's always easier when you can boil down the steps of what it is that you're asking somebody to do into three simple steps. Even if like you right. said there might be there might be more steps like sub steps inside mm -hmm, of each mm -hmm. of those three bigger buckets, but when you can bring something down to just three things, they're much more inclined to make a decision or they're and inclined to recognize it as something that is simple as opposed to right. overwhelming. You know, right. And nobody wants to start on something that's overwhelming. Right. So it really is about flipping that, that switch of the mindset, you know, because I think all of us by nature or by how we were nurtured probably feel that money is so complex and so challenging in a multitude of ways. If we can start early with that idea of that it's really quite simple, we will all be better off and we'll raise our kids mm -hmm. to be better off. So true. Is there anything just in to kind of wrap this up? that you would like to reinforce of what we've talked about right now for my listeners? So when it comes to money, 
It's our emotions, our mindset, and our psychology that really make it complicated. The math, the math is the easiest part. And I say that as a person who failed college algebra. <laughs> if I can do it, anybody can do it. And don't get intimidated by the numbers part. That's the easiest part of money. And so give yourself a lot of grace and compassion and space to sort through the emotional stuff because that stuff is way harder than the math. That's a great piece of advice. And speaking from somebody else who did not like algebra, <laughs> I can relate on so many levels to that. Respect. Right. So, well, thank you so much, Lindsay, for being on the show today. Is um, Can you just share a little bit about how my listeners can, can find you if they're interested in learning more about you and your services? Absolutely. So my company is called Mind Money Balance, M-I-N-D, and you can find me all over the internet. I'm most active on Instagram at Mind Money Balance, and I always like to offer a little freebie to anybody who hears me on a podcast. So this February, I published, um, I had my first book published, The Financial Anxiety Solution. And so for any listener who hears me on a podcast, if you go to mindmoneybalance.com slash podcast, there's information there about how to send me proof of purchase of a copy of that book. And when you send me proof of purchase, I will send you a free training on how to get your values in aligned with your saving and spending. Wonderful. And I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes for this episode so that they can easily find that if they didn't get it all jotted down in terms of the web address and, and your Instagram handle. So, Okay, perfect. Sounds great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. I appreciate your time today. It was a, a enlightening conversation. Money is always challenging to talk about and even more challenging to deal with because of that mindset that we bring to it. So mm. I appreciate what you have been able to share today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lindsay. There were so many things that resonated with me as I, as I listened back to this, because quite honestly, I recorded this interview a couple of months ago. So things were, things were different in terms of a lot of what's going on in the world today. But but her message still remains the same. So a couple of key takeaways that I had from this conversation was that our money story starts when we are first introduced to money. And as I mentioned in the in the discussion, it's so similar to our purpose story starts very early on in our life. And so does our money story. Another thing, if we just try and solve for the symptom, we're not solving the root problem. We have to really understand what our relationship with money is and where does it come from before we can overcome that anxiety that many of us feel when it comes to dealing with money. I also really appreciated Lindsay referring to the doorknob moments because I think we can all think of a time in our lives when we've experienced a doorknob moment, whether it be with a business partner, with a client with a spouse, with a loved one, where as they're walking out the door, as the conversation is wrapping up, they just drop this big old bombshell on you. And you're like, wait, what? A We're just going to deal with this at another time. I appreciated having a name to call that, I guess, is, is probably my favorite thing about that. But, but I do think it's important for us to remember. So as we continue to move into what is certain to be more economic uncertainty, I'm not going to call them hard times. I'm not going to say that it's going to be promising either because I think it, right now we are just in 
a space of uncertainty for a lot of reasons. Practicing financial self-care is going to be more and more important. Do we have that safety net? Is there ways that we can support our local businesses so that we are then supporting our local community and our friends and our families in their endeavors? And how can we align that support with what's important to us and our values? And just to wrap this up, I, I want to reiterate what Lindsay said towards the end of our conversation of that so much of what complicates our relationship with money is emotional, focused on our mindset, and psychological. It's not the math itself. It's those three things that we bring. It's that baggage that we bring to the table when we're thinking about money, which is so true with so many other aspects of our lives as well. Mindset, emotions, and psychology, they can wreak havoc in so many areas of our life. And as Lindsay described today, it influences our relationship with money too. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Be sure and check out the show notes so that you can be able to take advantage of that free training that Lindsay mentioned if you do um, go and purchase her book. And I will be back with you again next week. How many of you stumble over your words when describing the benefits your service provides? Are not sure who your ideal target audience is or how to find them? Spend hours bringing a web developer or a copywriter up to speed with your brand only to find out you've burned through the budget for your project? Have your brand mapped out in your head but cannot easily transfer the information to a team member? If you said yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. But you do have some work to do, and I can help. When you can easily share what your brand stands for, and a few key points about it, answering these questions becomes second nature, just like riding a bike or singing your favorite song. Clarity leads to consistency, which leads to confidence. Know your brand, tell the story often, trust your brand and the impact it has. The result is brand confidence. If this sounds like what you need, the Brand Confidence Mastermind is a great place to start. This mastermind offers a supportive community, accountability, goal setting, and coaching. Send me a message and let's start a conversation today. What would brand confidence do for you? This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.